Good morning. I'm so glad that you decided to join us this morning. For those of you who have never joined us before at Hope Church, we want to welcome you. We're so honored to be able to keep the main things the main things at this time. And on a day like this, I, I was asked this last week, actually. So, so Sean, are you going to cancel Easter? Uh, that, that statement took me back. And I, and I thought about the fact that Easter is something that really has very little to do with gathering together corporately. Easter has everything to do with an event that took place 2,000 years ago that if we try to ignore it today, it can leave us in a position of terrible self-detriment to what it means for us to miss out on the greatest gift that God could have ever given us. So when Christians say he is risen, he is risen indeed, the reason why that brings such joy to us is the fact that no event that keeps us from having the privilege of fellowshipping together in church could ever get in the way of the fact that the Lord Jesus rose from the grave. It, this, this morning, the video we showed a, a few minutes ago was, was these two men, disciples of Christ that loved Jesus. And I love the scramble that they made because they wanted to see with their own eyes the, the, the fact that the tomb was empty. And, and the reason why Christ followers take this so seriously is that it makes all the difference in the world for us because we can anticipate our own resurrection based upon the fact that the Lord Jesus raised from the dead, that he had victory over death through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so on this day, when I say he is risen, he is risen indeed, that I recognize the fact that the Lord Jesus did something that was so valuable to us, that, that what we must do is stand back and recognize what that means. Uh, several years ago, when we lived in Southern California, back in 2006, my, my wife and I were given a pair of tickets to go see the Los Angeles Lakers play at the Staples Center. And, and I, I, like, I like professional basketball, thought it was going to be fun. It was a little bit of a hassle getting the babysitter and driving. It was a, about an hour and a half from our home. And so uh, we, we, at the last minute, kind of questioned, like, should we? Is it worth it? And we decided to go to this game. And this game was on January 22nd, Los Angeles Lakers against the Raptors. And it turned out to be a game where Kobe Bryant, the late Kobe Bryant, ended up scoring 81 points in this game. And, and as you're, you're there, you're watching it all happen. And, and you couldn't do anything but just be amazed as to what was happening. It's, it's been said that that event was one of the top 10 events that's happened in sports in the last few decades. And so we, we stood back, we watched it, we were in awe, and, and we recognized it for what it was. Now, I, full confession, if I, because I'm not a huge basketball fan, I, I might have noticed it on the news the next day, but, but, but the fact that I was there to recognize it made a massive difference. And there were individuals that surrounded the days after the Lord Jesus had died that, that chose to, to put themselves in a position where they could have a firsthand account of what happened. And this morning, this message is so important for each one of us because I believe that there's, there's a handful of responses that we can have to the truth of the resurrection. 
And in the passage we're going to look at, Capri read those first verses for us. We're going to look at a few verses later as well. And we're going to see that there was a group of people who attempted to, for the first time, tried to cancel Easter. And it didn't work out too well for them. But there were people who, who saw this as a threat to the status quo, that they recognized that this would change the decisions that they were going to make going forward. So they tried with their pocketbooks, with their deceptive ways to, to silence Easter, and it really didn't work out well. But there were other individuals who immediately, when they, they saw this, it, it says that, that Peter and John were racing to that empty tomb. And, and John, what we see in God's word is that John actually says that he believed at that point when he saw the empty tomb. It's amazing. It's beautiful. So some immediately received it with joy. But there was another person, and I'm guessing listening to me this morning, there's a few of you that fit this category. And I want to just really encourage you today. That you're, you're someone who, when it comes to the resurrection, that the idea that somebody could go from death to life, it just makes you ask questions. Like, really? Is that possible? I haven't seen that happen too many times in my life. And, and you have questions. And, and today, in the verses that we're going to look at, there's this great moment where an angel invites these women who had come to the empty tomb. And he says, come and see. And I just want to encourage you this morning for, for those who maybe, maybe Easter is one of the few times that you choose to do the church thing. Uh, I want to make sure that you understand that I love you. God loves you. And, and on a day like this, it's appropriate for you to say like, here's my challenges. These are the things that are difficult for me about even the idea of the resurrection and the people who had that. There's this guy, Thomas, we'll talk about him briefly today that, that he even after Jesus had risen from the dead, he said, he said, I, I want to feel, I want to, I po- and, and instead of being aghast and shocked or angry, it, it, I think that, that Jesus responded to him the way that God would respond to you today with your questions. And he says, come, come and see, like, like I, bring your questions. There's really good answers to your questions. So Easter for us is one that we talk a lot about death at this time. And part of that is that We believe that God's word teaches us that Jesus died so that you and I don't have to. That Jesus paid the ultimate penalty on the cross on behalf of individuals so that when it comes to anticipating our transition from this life to the next, that we are able to approach it with an anticipation that what Jesus said to the man on the cross, absent from the body, present with the Lord, that we can anticipate the fact that there's the possibility of that cross leading to the potential for us to go from death to life. But for those that choose to ignore the cross, unfortunately, there's also a reality here that the Lord has said to us, that he has given us hope, but that hope must be received. I was in Africa and I had a pastor who lived in and out of just daily wrestling with what it meant for him to have his daily bread. He, he had very little to his name. He let his church out of his home. And, And I asked him because he was one of the most joyful men I've ever been around in my life. The, the song that he taught me to sing in church was you are enough. Oh, Papa, You are enough, oh daddy. That's a man whose stomach is empty a lot of times. And he taught me a lesson. He said, I said, why do you think that that it's hard for Americans to understand the sufficiency of God in their life? And he said, I think, and he wasn't rude. I asked the question 
But he said, I think that it's possible for people who've been so blessed that it's possible that you confuse reality on our, in life on earth with our future reality that we have promised to us for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in other words, you're confusing that, that earth is going to be the place where everything's good. And instead, what he said is that I've set my mind on the future, that, that God's going to redeem this earth, that he's going to bless me. And I can't help but think as we've each of us wrestled with our mortality through this COVID-19 time period, each of us have had to ask questions about the people that we love the most. Some of us are parents, grandparents, people who are particularly at risk. And we stand back and we say, Lord, we desperately need you. But I don't think our need for the Lord is any more today than it was a month ago or two months ago. Our need for the Lord has stayed the same. But for some people, I think the deceiver has allowed our blessings and our comfort to eclipse our re reality of depending upon the Lord. And I've seen it as a pastor. I've been in hospital rooms where wealthy people have come to the end of the, their ability to pay their way out of suffering. And it's at those moments so often that I've seen people really say, what is the most important thing in my life? In, in God's word today, we're going to look at a, a, a super encouraging passage of scripture. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. I would encourage you to go get your Bibles because we're going to look at this in another passage of scripture. But in these words, God word, God's word communicates to us something that was an event, a historical event that took place that has something tremendously relevant for us today when it comes to our understanding Easter and for us understanding what it means to anticipate our own resurrection in our own lives. So Beginning in chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, it says this. After the Sabbath, this is on Sunday morning, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. We think these next events happened before they even got there. That, that there was this violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, it rolled back, it rolled back the, the stone and he sat on it. Now, who are these people? We think with the other gospels, the other three gospels, we can put together, there were probably five women, many of them mothers of the disciples, something about that. I love that they're, they're kind of the first on the scene and these, these moms are there and they, they want to take care of the body of Christ. I think for some of them, varying degrees of taking Jesus at his word that he was going to raise from the dead. But we don't, we don't know what completely was going on in their minds, but they're there to see this event. And when they walk in, we're not sure if they were there for this actual moment, but what they see is the empty tomb. And, and there's a shock that's associated with it. What, what we see in verse two is this violent earthquake was something that would have overwhelmed the guards to the point where they pass out. They they give up. I, I can't help but think about these guards that were there, probably from the Sanhedrin, because afterwards, after this all happens, they go and report to the Sanhedrin, maybe not Roman guards like we traditionally think of them. But I, I can't help but expect that they assumed that someone was going to come, that they assumed these, these Christians were frauds and they were going to try to pull a trick where they're going to steal this body away in the middle of the night. So I can't, can't help but imagine that they had their swords tight. They were sharpened. They were ready to go for the fight. But what they didn't expect was an, an aerial attack from above. That, 
the, the messenger of God, an angel from God, multiple angels actually, would come and to allow this, this moment where Jesus didn't need this stone to be removed in order for him to get out of the grave, actually. He, he moves the stone aside to allow us to see what had happened, that God is a promise-keeping God. The clothes were still sitting there, and Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. It says this about the angel, verse 3, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook, and they became like dead men. Verse 5, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. This might be a small thing, but as we've been going through this time period of, of having our lives disrupted, so much change, so much is happening. Isn't it helpful? It should be helpful for you to know that God knows what's going on in your heart, that he knows what's going on in your mind. He knows the fears that can take root inside of us. And and yet he, he responds to these women who are pursuing Jesus in their own way. And here he says this in verse six, he is not here. He has risen just as he said, come see the place where he lay. On that day, Jesus conquered death. He died the death that you and I deserved. Now, now for some of you, that might be offensive. What, what do you mean? The death I deserved. And, and I love to think of it like this. Like if I, if I had a chalkboard here, I think that for many people, the way we anticipate our future when we die is that we assume that there's something after death. And, and there's this, this image that I've heard described by multiple people. I think I've maybe held some of these views at some stage in my life, when, especially when I was younger, that, that we make it to heaven and God's there. And, and he looks at us and he says, you know, he says, to us, why, why do you think I should let you in? And I, I can't help but picture me having on one side of the board a, a smiley face and, and then I'd start to just list out for, for God the things that I've done well. You know, I helped that lady across the street. I paid my taxes. I went to church pretty often. I tried not to lie too often. And, and we, we put these up on the, the board and, and then we, we would go to the, the bad side. And, it, you know, not a smiley face over here, a frowny face, right, with horns. And, and on that, you find yourself listing out, okay, well, maybe I didn't always handle things with integrity. Maybe I cheated this time. It was a little white lie, right? But the, the problem with that is that God's word says to us, for the wages of sin is death. It says to us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. A, a very helpful illustration for me to understand this is kind of gross, so forgive me. But uh, my, my wife and I were, were visiting some, some uh, people in another country and we were, they were preparing a meal for us and it was, they're making mashed potatoes and they'd boiled the potatoes and they were all sitting up on the table. And, and this is just a wonderful family, super kind. We love them. We, we love them still to this day, but uh, they, they had had the potatoes out and they had this giant dog. He, he was looked more like a bear than a dog. And as we're just talking, this dog gets up on its paws and it just starts eating the potatoes out of the bowl. And we're watching it and we're thinking, we're, we're going to eat this. Well, well, sure enough, she, she took those potatoes right where the dog had been eating and she just scooped, she didn't even scoop it out, just kind of mixed it in and made the mashed potatoes. And I think for, for Allie and I, there was this 
this moment where we're like, we're eating those potatoes, right? You, you, you know, as I'm telling this story, that it's at least a little gross, right? That that, that one contamination had a significant impact. And, and I want to remind you when he says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that, that if we were doing this tally, these marks, and, and if it was just a speck that was on this side, what I would have is something that Jesus didn't have. Jesus lived the perfect life. We're told that he was tempted in every way. You think about that for a second. And yet was without sin. But for you and I, just one speck, like that dog's nasty tongue in my mashed potatoes, one speck is enough for us to deserve death. Uh, Maybe a better way to illustrate this is that um, I I can't jump very well. I'm sure that most of you, if you had a competition in your home, you could probably out jump me. Uh, But Mike Powell, back in 1991, uh, jumped 29 foot, four and a half inches in a long jump. It's an amazing number. It's it's amazing. You can can watch the video. It's incredible to see him. And and to compare his jump with my jump, there's not even any comparison with it. But if he and I were standing across the Grand Canyon, that his jump is going to be far more impressive than mine is. But the fact of the matter is we're both going to end up in the same place. Unfortunately, the painful reality of the gospel is that that sin separates us from the Lord. But praise the Lord, at Easter, what we celebrate is the fact that the Lord Jesus, sinless in every way, chose to die the death that he did so that we would not have to live in eternal separation from God. He paid the price. Now, for, for some of us, we hear even these words, and they, they might drip with what feels like religiosity. You, you hear these phrases. It, in our day and age, to say that someone is born again, it's not always the most popular thing to say, right? It doesn't even come across that great, right? Oh, they're a born-again Christian. But to be born again simply means that I've chosen to accept that truth, that my hope is only in the Lord. So the, the Romans passage that I quoted earlier, for the wages of sin is death. It goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And what happened at Easter in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ allows us to anticipate our own resurrection from the dead. For some of you, you say, I have questions. I have so many questions. How? Why? What, what, what could this even be possible. But I hinted at this earlier that the hard questions have great answers. These women that went to that, that empty tomb were seeking him. And the angel said to them, come and see the place where he had laid. You know, many of us want to see facts. We want to see truths. And some of the greatest theologians, pastors today are individuals that wrestled with the hardest questions. And when they looked at them honestly, when they were vulnerable and they said, what what if this is possibly true? That God spoke to them. Some of the greatest minds in the world that we know of today have come to Christ through their questions of Christ, through their seeking God's word. I I love in John chapter 20, uh, a little bit of a separate place from what we saw the disciples running to see Jesus. John chapter 20, verse 26 records this, this moment where Thomas wanted to, to touch Jesus. It says this, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. This happened just after Easter. And Thomas 
was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. So now they're getting to see Jesus. Did you know that after the resurrection of, of Christ, there were over 500 people that ended up having the privilege of seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's, he's one of them that, that, that he says this, then peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, put your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord, and my God, Jesus said to him, have you, be, have you believed because you've seen me? And, and then Jesus says something, you don't know this. You show up in this ancient text that your name could show up in this ancient text because he goes on to say this to Thomas. He says, blessed are those who've not seen and have yet believed. You and I didn't have the privilege of being there on that Easter 2000 years ago, but we get to believe because it's true. And God said this in his word. Jesus taught this, that there's going to be a day when people are far away from it, right? Like that's thousands of years ago. But this event is something that's so significant that we could say the, the words that, that were said by Thomas, that I do not disbelieve, but do not disbelieve, but believe my Lord and my God. Those words are profound. They're so encouraging. In fact, the the women who visited the empty tomb, that story goes on. If you'll turn back again, sorry to make you move around so much. Matthew chapter 28. Let's go back there and pick up what happened in verse 7. Then Jesus said, or the, the angel said, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee where you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They were in awe of what had taken place. And they ran to tell his disciples. And then Jesus encounters them on the road. Verse nine puts it this way. And behold, Jesus met them. And he said, now I want you to catch this. I want you to catch their response to the Christ. That, that they see him there. I can just picture them. They're breathing heavy. They, they're exhausted. This has been such an emotional morning. And behold, Jesus met them. And he said, greetings. And they came up and they took a hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Friends, that's the appropriate response when we understand who God really is. It's the appropriate response when we understand that he's a promise-keeping God, just like he said, remember? He does this stuff. He, he is a God who tolerates our deepest questions. He understands our deepest fears. And he eclipses them with his loving kindness. So they worship him. They respond to him. They were witnesses from their own anticipation of going from death to life. Then Jesus says, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. You know, there will always be and have always been skeptics. But what can happen is a skeptic can find themselves going from being skeptical to becoming an ambassador of hope. This is what motivates me to tell you about the gospel. This is what motivates me as a Christ follower to say things. Some of you heard me say this so many times that I believe the gospel is the most important thing about me. It's, it's essential to who I am. And um, this last year, one of my favorite professors, missions professor, um, went to be with the Lord. And he taught me this story. Uh, that he told me about this man 
And I apologize, some of you have read it before because I included it in a weekly newsletter. But he told this story and it's always moved me because this, this embodies, I think, the person who has had their life changed so much that they want to do nothing but to tell other people about it. And the, the way the story goes is that there was an eye surgeon who went to a large city in China back in the 1800s. One of the, the first surgeries that he performed was on a man who had really severe cataracts. So he couldn't see very well. And obviously we know that procedure is one that can be done relatively simply, but for him, it moved him from being able to not see to be able to see. A few weeks later, that missionary was shocked to find 48 blind men on his doorstep. And what he found out was that those 48 men had traveled some 250 miles from a remote place in China drawing them to this person. And do you know who led them there? It was that man. The person who was on the front of the rope that they held together was the man who had originally had his sight restored from the hands of that good surgeon. Today, the reason why Christians get really excited about Easter is, is not because it's gathering together in church or Easter eggs or the things that, that maybe have culturally become associated with Easter but it's because of the fact that we can say that we were blind and now we see that we can say that this truth is essential in our lives. And it doesn't shock me at all. And I, I read these next verses. Capri hadn't read them earlier, but I want you to pick up with me in verse 12 that, that there's always been, this doesn't shock me at all, that there's people, whether it's out of fear, whether it's out of ignorance whether it's out of some level of guilt that has defined them, that, that want to ignore the truth of, of Easter. And, and this story, when you really read it, is tragic and it's sad. The first attempts to cover up the resurrection look like this. Verse 12, when the chief priests had met, these are, these are really religious people. They knew they had access to God's word. They were people who had chosen to ignore the promises of Christ when he walked the earth. It says the chief priests had met with the elders and they devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money. They told them, you are to say his disciples came during the night, stole them away while they were asleep. Do you notice that? You study this thing, like they're willing to put the very lives of the disciples at risk for a lie. Here they're, they're doing something that's so evil and it's all to cover up the position that they've gotten themselves in there. They're just digging themselves deeper, right? They're just, we're going to keep covering this up. We're going to keep trying to, to make it better with our pocketbook or whatever. They had no regard for these people's lives. They have no regard for the story of Jesus that he resurrected from the dead. In verse 14, it says, if this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him. We'll keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers Co-conspirators took the money. They did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. It's still circulating to this day. That, that that was what happened to the body of Christ. I love the way the late British commentator William, William Barclay puts it. He says this powerful truth. He says, it's interesting to see the means that the Jewish authorities had used in the desperate attempts to eliminate Jesus. They'd used treachery to lay a hold on him. They used illegality to try him. They used slander to charge him to Pilate. And then now they were using bribery to silence the truth about him. And they failed. 
It's helpful for us to remember that great is the truth and it will prevail. It is the fact of history that not all men's evil machinations can in the end stop truth. The gospel of goodness is greater than the plots of wickedness. You know, there have been so many attempts in history to call the gospel irrelevant. In fact, I, I grieve today the, the criticisms of, of the bride of Christ. The, the bride of Christ is the church that, that God loves, that he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But some have said things. I've heard these uh, from people that I love that have said things like, like we might as well shutter the church now because it's irre- irrelevant. It, it can't function in our modern world or our post modern world. And I look around and and even just two, a month ago, there were people who said the churches will shudder in America because people are going to stop giving to the church because they're not, you know, this last week, people at Hope Church gave so generously. It was, it was an uncharacteristically generous Sunday and they weren't giving to me. They weren't giving to the pastors of Hope Church. They're giving to the Lord, right? Even out of our, our lack at this time. So when people say, might as well shudder it, I, I think it's, it falls so short of the glory of God. Some, some have said that the church will stop being the church when it's no longer popular in American culture. I've been in countries where Christianity was the religion of the country. And at times what can happen there is that we can become cultural Christians. The, our religiosity we wear on our sleeve, like we'd put it on our business card. And, and I think those days are gone in America, and I'm okay with that. I think the people who are embracing the name of Christ are people who've gone from blindness to sight that can say that Jesus is the most important thing about them. Some have said that the Bible is full of contradictions and just want to challenge you. Uh, Have you read it? Have, Have you spent time understanding its truth? God's word is beautiful. It's powerful. One, one that's really popular right now is to say that the kids are all leaving the church. I, I look around Hope Church right now, and, and I see kids that are leading the church. And, and finally, especially in our culture that we live in today in America, that there's some that say the stances that the church has taken are insensitive, that they're uncompassionate, they're exclusivistic. And Pastor Jim mentioned this earlier when he was leading us in worship, but the truth of John 3.16, just listen to it. You talk about inclusivistic. You think about the extent of the atonement of God. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him will not perish. I want to tell you that Jesus loved everybody. He loved the people that no one else loved. And so that understanding of Christianity is far from my understanding of the Christ that loves you so much. So if you've been burned by people, maybe some of them in the name of religious, religiosity, like that, that happened to Jesus too. It's happened to me. That's happened to some of you as you have wrestled with what Christianity really looks like. There's really three responses to the resurrection of Christ that we've seen in this text this morning. The first is just sweet acceptance. It's Lord, I, I trust you. I I believe you. I'm on my knees. I just, just want to worship you. And for some of you, that's been your story. In Matthew 13, it says that they immediately received the message of the gospel with joy. That's just some of us. But then there's others that are, that are hearing this message this morning that, that you, you just have questions. You have hard questions. 
and, and you receive it with sincere skepticism. I might shock you this morning to encourage you. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm great with that, actually. I think that that means that you're engaging. And for some of you, you might look at God's word and you might say, well, it's contradictory. Well, study them. I, I want to encourage you in that. For some of you, you might look at the, 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 the claims of the gospel and you might stand back and you might say, is this possibly true? And I just want to encourage you. Would you take God at his word? I've been challenging friends to read the book of John. It's, it, it includes the gospel in a way that I think John wrote it, understanding that there are going to be people who are just like, I, I don't know if I get this. What's this mean? And we have people in our Hope Church family who, it was just the book of John, actually, that led them to be able to stand back and like Nicodemus say, I'm ready to be born again. I'm ready to go from death to life. I'm ready to have a new perspective on who I am. So the, the final one. So there's sweet acceptance. There's sincere skepticism. But the final one is, is so tragic. It's just shameful deceit. It's, it's to try to use any method to diminish the promises of God. And it's rampant in the world that we live in. It breaks my heart because they're talking about my God. But but for some in this room, the, the beauty of the gospel is that as we're hunkered down in our homes, as we're suffering, some of us suffering, physically suffering, some of us wrestling with, with what uh, our daily bread might look like a, a month from now without our job, whatever that looks like, that there's some that are going through this, but, but God's word is, is really interesting. It's really profound. He says, he says, when you hear the birds chirp, he says, when you see the flowers bloom, that you have to recognize the fact that God cares about those little things, those, those seemingly insignificant things that, that are signs for us that we've gone from winter into spring and that he's faithful, that he's good. The way that it's recorded in Matthew 6, 26, it says, it says that God cares. Remember that God cares even for the birds. And then in verse 28, he cares for the flowers. He cares for you. And, and friends, I'm so glad that you chiseled out an hour of your life to join us this morning. But the most important thing that you can do in your life right now is to remember that that same God has not forgotten you, even if you felt that way. That same God is the God that knit you together in your mother's womb, that he loves you, that he loved you so much that he chose to send his son to die on your behalf. And for those of us who are, have accepted that with a sweet acceptance, we just want to declare it. And we're going to do something cool. I, I, I think this is beautiful that there's people in our church, and, and there's a lot more than the ones who just even filled these out already. But there's people in our church that are wanting to share their testimony to you today. And they're going to show you on one side of this sign what their story was before they put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't, don't misunderstand. This takes a lot of courage, actually, to do what they did. And what they're going to say to you is, this is who I was before. This is me when I was blind. And I, I want to share with you what I am. I know some of these stories. I, I've wept with some of these people this last year, watching them, knowing their stories. And these are real. And what they're saying is that, that I really believe that what happened on that Easter day 2,000 years ago made a difference in my life in such a way that I can go from death to life. I believe that's the case for you as well. So I want to encourage you today that the God that chose to send his son to seek and to save that which was lost was the one that offered for you this kind of hope.